0: Thank you, Jennifer. You know, when I was in high school is when I first began to hear the gospel. And it was through a church, through a friend in high school, and he brought me to his church. And, uh, you know, as I, as I encountered people whose lives were transformed by Christ and uh, heard the things they were talking about, the things they believed, something gradually began to happen. I began to get, you know, moved and shaken, and, and really, uh, it just, it, it was... Uh, something so revolutionary to me that finally what I decided was I need a little bit of Jesus. And, uh, you know, those of you who, you know, who, who've gotten to know me a little bit, you know that I'm just extremely emotional and, and, you know, I just get carried away. I'm so frothy and, you know, there's no substance there. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I was really stirred by what I was seeing. And, and you know what? It took me, it was a million miles for me to come to that point of wanting a little bit of Jesus. But I remember going to church one Sunday. The AA for me, I went to church. And uh, I, was, I heard something which, which just shocked me and stunned me. The pastor in his closing prayer actually cursed me. He, he prayed a prayer something to the effect that if there's anybody here who doesn't know Christ and doesn't love Christ with all of his heart, may that person not be contented until they come to saving faith in Christ. And I went away and I, and I was telling my friend, you know, I can't believe, you know, I come to church and the pastor curses me and says <laughs> things like this. And, you know, my friend was trying to explain it to me. Uh, we, we, we want a little bit of Jesus. We want a little bit of God. But God wants all of us. And uh, today we're having the Lord's Supper. Last time I preached, it was on the occasion when we were having baptisms. And I preached on baptism and so today we're observing the other of the, the two ordinances that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to, to uh, observe his death, to mark the initiation into the church through baptism, and the, the ongoing rite of the church, which is the Lord's Supper. So I thought I would just make a little mini-series of it, and so today I'm going to speak about the Lord's Supper, about communion. But actually, the, the passage that, I, that we're going to turn to, John chapter 6, now if you look in your pew Bible, it's page 1056, and the passage we're going to look at actually doesn't talk about communion. The commentators seem to be pretty much in agreement about, about this, as much as they're ever in agreement about anything, that uh, this passage really doesn't talk about the Lord's Supper, but uh, it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. But it seems to indirectly talk about the Lord's Supper. And I think that this passage that sort of looks past the bread and the wine, it looks past the ritual, I think it helps us more than any other to really understand the bread and wine and to understand the ritual. So, uh, we're in the the Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting with verse 48. And uh, ten, page 1056 in the Pew Bible. So let me give you a little background. Jesus is, uh, is being plagued by some people who just completely don't get what he is about. Some people who seem to just want a little bit of Jesus. And uh, they're following him because he's been doing miraculous signs. And miraculous signs in the Gospel of John are things that Jesus does which reveal who he is. And so one of the miraculous signs he's just done is that he's fed a multitude of people with some few loaves of bread. So here he is, the one who gives bread to all the people, the one who gives life. He's the creator, the one who provides sustenance. And so what do people get out of that? The crowds, the masses. They're coming after him. They want to be near him. What have they gotten out of seeing this miraculous sign? They got a stomach full, and they want another stomach full. And uh, Jesus says, look, you guys, I know all you really want is more food for your stomachs, and don't waste your time looking for bread like that, and I'll give you the real bread. And so that's what he's on. He's talking about bread. But the people have this other idea. They have a better idea. They say, hey, Jesus, I know. Look, you want us to believe in you, right? And uh, we'll believe in you. We're ready to believe in you. What you need to do is, you know, do a miraculous sign for us. Like he already didn't do one. Do a miraculous sign for us. And I know what you could do. You you know what? Back in the old days, in the days of Moses, God gave the people, what was it? Bread! Bread from heaven. It was called manna. And God gave them bread from heaven. Why don't you, you know... So, you know, they're still after the bread. They're, They're coming back with that suggestion. Why don't you give us bread, the way that Moses gave the people bread from heaven, and uh, you know, then we'll really be your followers, then we'll really believe in you, so let's pick up in, in verse 48, Jesus says I am the bread of life I am the bread of life, Jesus is the one who gives life I am the bread of life your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. So it's uh, uh, similar to many of the things that that John writes. It's sort of saying the same thing in different ways, coming back to the same point, making the same point. But there is a bit of a drift in the passage. And uh, what I want us to do is is, uh, start with just this idea that Jesus gives life. Jesus gives life. And that's what we need. Uh, Jesus says in verse 48, I am the bread of life. And we need life. Ever since our first father fell, human beings have been under sentence of death. And we've been able to make uh, amazing strides in medicine. And our understanding, not my understanding, but... The the understanding of medical science of what is involved in human life and in the human body and the things that are happening uh, when we get sick, when we're healthy, and we're able to cure diseases uh, in in a a commonplace fashion that you know took away our grandparents and they never had a chance. Um, So these days, it's amazing what can be cured, but the person gets the cure and then still dies so life is just a slow process of dying and the death rate is still 100% and all of us who are sitting here looking beautiful and smelling nice one day we hope that we will be mourned as we're you know rotting in a box or, or cooked in an oven and our ashes spread we're all dying and we need some bread from heaven we need something that can come and give us life you know we can try to to deal with this philosophically and just kind of adjust our minds to the fact of death and just say well death is an inevitable part of life well of course it is the way things are but you know death can't be your friend and you can try to just incorporate good and evil life and death and bring it all into one big happy thing but your heart will rebel Death is our enemy. Death is bad. And, uh, and there's something terribly wrong, and what's wrong is with us, and we need life. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed to man once to die, and after that is judgment. But Jesus is the bread of life. And so look at, uh, look at uh, verse 49, your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. And uh, that's our case. That's our situation. We even get bread from heaven like that manna, but we still die. But Jesus is the bread of life. So look at verses 50 to 51. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus is the bread of life. He came down from heaven. That means he comes from God. It means that he has the power to give life. He can do it. He can overcome death. He came down from heaven. And he is bread. Jesus says that whoever comes to me and receives from me what I give him will live forever. Jesus gives life. Bread is that thing that we have to have is that basic sustenance, that basic support, that basic nutrition that keeps us alive. We have to take the life that's in the bread and bring it into ourselves and then we can live. I remember when I was a kid, um, looking at some of the books that my parents would keep in the house, there was uh, one called The Civil War sort of a tan-colored volume with gold letters on the back. You know, mostly I just looked at the pictures. You know, there's so many pictures. I was just always looking at the pictures. never read anything. But um, in this book of the Civil War, I came across some pictures of prisoners of war during the Civil War. And it stunned me. It shocked me. It amazed me to see, you know, how skinny a man could get. You know, just a living skeleton and every rib showing... And the arms, so skinny, they didn't even look like arms, just skin and bones. Knees, you know, the the legs so thin, and the knees, great big huge knees. And you look and you say, is that what I look like if I don't get bread? And uh, we need life. And this is our situation. You know, I looked at those soldiers and I thought, oh, how terrible. I hope nothing like that ever happens to me. But that's exactly what my situation was that I was dying because I don't have the bread of life, because I don't have the life that Christ gives, and I needed Christ. Jesus satisfies every need. He is the bread of life, and he satisfies completely. He doesn't just, uh, he's not the, the kind of bread that you eat, and then you die. You get life for a while, and then you die. You drink, and then you're thirsty again. But Jesus is the one who satisfies completely. He reaches down into the innermost part of our being and satisfies everything that we need. Other things that we look for, you know, we run after bread. We run after success. We run after, you know, all the things in the world. Um, you know, relationships and a feeling of, of, of uh, self-actualization and all the, the great goals we want to achieve. And they all leave us empty. None of them truly satisfies. They all come to nothing because the seconds are ticking away and your last second will be up and you'll be in the grave. But Jesus gives a life that satisfies forever, that truly meets our needs. Jesus gives us himself. So, this bread that we have at this table is not the bread of life. This is... A piece of bread. It's a piece of, um, uh, you know, manashevitz. What do you call it? Yeah, that stuff. It's it's that uh, that unleavened big cracker, and it's it's um, it doesn't give you life. Don't come to the table and eat this stuff and miss the bread of life. Come to Jesus, receive Him, and get the bread of life that's spiritual. The real bread, the bread that came from heaven. This stuff came from a farm somewhere. They grew the wheat, they ground it up, they mixed it with water, here it is. You eat it and you'll die. Come to Jesus. He's the bread of life. Eat and live forever. And then come to the Lord's table and meet Him and commemorate and cement it and remember it and let Him work in your life as as you uh, come to the Lord's table following His command. So Jesus gives us life. Jesus gives us himself. Jesus gives us himself. He says that he is the bread of life and we're to come to him and eat him. Jesus gives us himself in the form of a sacrifice. Uh, He gives up everything that he has. He gives himself up for us. So look at verses... um, uh, 51. Look at verse 51 first. Just the very end of verse 51, it says, uh, This bread, this bread that I'm giving is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus gives us himself by becoming flesh. He became man. In order to present a sacrifice for us, he had to be one of us. And he was willing to come and be like us, to be made one of us. He became a real human. He took on the weakness. He took on the limitations. He took on the, the frustrations, the, the grief, the sorrow, the pain, the suffering, the death, that it means to be human. He came to become one of us. So, uh, what great love. He gives us himself... First, by becoming one of us. By becoming flesh. And then, He gives of of Himself. He gives himself, Himself to us by dying for us as a sacrifice. Look at verse 53 to 54. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats My flesh and drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So, this is sacrificial talk. You eat the flesh of the sacrifice. But of course, in the, in the Jewish context, this is so shocking, it's so revolting, because he's talking about drinking the blood, and that was, that was uh, limited. You weren't to drink the blood. But we're to live by the death of Christ. We're to receive the life of Christ, and to live by his death. He died for us. So Jesus gives us himself. He doesn't just, you know, give us a present or give us a gift. He gives us himself. He gives us himself by dying for us. He gives us his life. He gives us his life. And look at verse 55. Jesus gives us his life. He says, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. So what real food does is there's a life in it and you take it in and it becomes your life. What Jesus does is there's life in him. You take him into yourself and you get real life, eternal life, and you don't die again. You drink Jesus' blood. You live by his death and you live forever. He gives you his life. So it's a sacrifice like no other. It's not just a ritual of sacrifice, but it's the Son of God who's slain to save to the uttermost. He's able to save the bread from heaven. There was a a little girl born about a year and a half ago. Her name was Sailor, like Taylor, but Sailor, Kirkpatrick, born in in Kentucky. Um, Born with an acute liver disease and she would not live... Uh, out her first year unless she had a liver transplant. They couldn't find an infant donor. And the solution that the doctors came up up with was if they could find an adult donor who weighed under 115 pounds, so a small adult with type O blood, and if this person could donate one lobe of their liver, little sailor's life could be saved. Uh, Back in her dad's hometown... Uh, there was a laborer uh, who went to high school with, with her father. Uh, his name was uh, Jason York. He heard about this, his wife Lori told him. And he said, I want to do this. They had lost their first child. It uh, was stillborn. And uh, Jason didn't want his, his, uh, his old buddy David to go through the pain that he had gone through. And so he gave part of his liver, part of his life, went into a little sailor. And now sailor has celebrated her first birthday. She's doing well. Jesus gives us his life. But it's a life that lasts forever. It's an indestructible life. It's eternal life. So the Lord Jesus gives us himself. In the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is acting out the sacrifice of Christ. As we break the bread we're remembering how his body was broken for us. As we take it in, we're, we're eating as if at a sacrificial meal. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who, who, who dies for the sins of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. And uh, so we're commemorating the death of Christ. It isn't a fresh sacrifice, but we meet Christ as we come according to his command, as we break the bread, as we drink the cup, and as we remember what he's done for us. So, if Jesus has given himself for me, what does he ask of me? Since Jesus has given all for us, he claims us, he claims all from us. Since Jesus has given us everything, he claims everything from us. So, uh, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? It's going to involve giving everything. Uh, Look at verse 56. And uh, Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. There's a relationship, an ongoing relationship that involves total commitment. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. This is an image that comes up in a number of places in the New Testament about our relationship with Christ. And it has to do with total dependency on Christ. We need to be totally dependent on Christ. Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, remain in me. And so a branch has to just hang on to the vine. A branch is totally obsessed with just getting everything it needs from the vine. And that's how Jesus wants us to live. That our total focus needs to be on our relationship with him and what he gives to us. And then he says, uh, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me like a branch in the vine. And I remain in Him. That is, that we experience Christ's life in us. He gives us His life. We experience His life. Believing in Christ means being completely dependent on Him. And it means experiencing Him. And it means you're going to have to make some room to experience Christ. Christ, you, you know, you can't just stick Him in the corner like, uh, you know, you've got to a new appliance and you kind of stick it in a cupboard somewhere. Jesus takes over the whole thing. And he's your master, he's your Lord. You have to have room in your life to experience him. He's got to have control over everything. He has to have the steering wheel so he can drive the car. Um, in, in the New Testament, Jesus talks about how we experience him. In Matthew 28, the very, very last words in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In uh, the book of Galatians, um, uh, in chapter 2, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. The people who wrote the New Testament, the people who, who experienced Christ in the first century, they didn't hesitate to speak of knowing Christ and believing in Christ as if Christ was invading their lives, as if he was present in their lives, as if he was working in their lives. And that's what it means to believe in Christ today, that Christ comes into your life. Paul says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ, that Christ comes into our lives and he works in our lives. We have to make room for him to do that. Believing in Jesus is uh, depending on him, it's experiencing his life Believing in Jesus is sharing one life with him. And uh, it's an amazing thing in in the book of Ephesians where Paul talks about marriage at the end of the book of Ephesians. He talks about it. uh, The last thing he he sort of comes to is, is that, hey, you know in the Old Testament in Genesis it says that a man leaves his father and mother and joins his wife and the two become one flesh. But I'm not talking just about people. He says, it is a great mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. That Christ joins together with his people. You know what we, what we do? We always want to separate people. You know when we get uh, Siamese twins, the first thing we want to do is find a way to separate them. You know, when, when you're a parent, you're raising a child, what you, what you want to do is you want to help that child mature and take take on responsibility and move on to their own life. But what God does with us is he unites us to Christ. The way that a husband and wife unite together. And that this is what God's plan is, is is for us to share one life with Christ. And so Christ uh, comes and he enters our lives and we share with him, we share that one life. He lives in us and works within us. There's a union between us and Christ. And that's what the Lord's Supper is about. As we take in the bread, as we crush it with our teeth, as we swallow it, as our bodies make it into our own life, so in the same way, in our relationship with Christ, we, we, we live by His life, and His life becomes our life, and we experience His life. And we're focused on Him and on getting His life. Just as we're focused on having bread. As we're focused on getting the things that we need in life. So the Lord's Supper is is driving the point home to us in a way that's very plain that our senses can perceive and understand that we need Christ. That we get life from Christ. That we live by Him. That we live by His sacrifice. Let me... Uh, read to just something from this book by uh, Rico Tice. It's called Christianity Explored. It's a great little introduction to, to Christianity and the gospel. And uh, he's, he, he, uh, Rico Tice is this British guy. Um, and one thing about Rico Tice is he's fascinated with movies. And so the entire book, he's illustrating everything with movies. Uh, so here he talks about the film Saving Private Ryan. It's, uh, you know, it's this dirty, ugly film. I don't know if I could ever watch it again, but I love the movie. I love the movie. It's so good. But uh, let's see if I can read this to you uh, without choking up. The film Saving Private Ryan, set during World War II, tells a story of a group of men who are given orders to rescue a single man from behind enemy lines in Normandy. Why is the man so important? We're told that his three brothers have all recently been killed in action leaving him as the only child of a single mother. When the U.S. Army Chief of Staff hears about the situation, he gives orders to protect this precious remaining son, Private James Ryan, and he sends out a team of soldiers to bring him back alive. The rescue mission is extremely perilous, and it claims the lives of the soldiers, one after the other. At one point, the captain says, this Ryan had better be worth it. He'd better go go home, cure some disease, or invent the longer-lasting light bulb. But they obey the orders, they rescue Ryan, and in the final battle scene, set on a heavily shelled bridge, as the captain himself dies, he whispers his last words to a dumbstruck Private Ryan, James, earn this. Earn it. So 50 years pass, and in the closing shots of the film, we see an elderly James Ryan returning to Normandy with his wife, his children, his grandchildren. He kneels beside the grave of the captain, and as tears fill his eyes, he says, My family is with me today. Every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes I've earned what all of you have done for me. I can't read the other line or he turns to his wife. (laughs) But anyway, What, what the captain said to Ryan after he made his sacrifice together with all of his men was he said, earn this. Earn it. We've given everything for you. Go and earn it. And you know when we realize what Jesus has sacrificed for us and that he's giving us his life, that we're cannibals, we're living by his death, we're feeding off his body, we're eating his flesh and blood, and when we realize that he did this willingly because he wanted us to share his life and that he rose again from the dead and he lives to share his life with us, then we have to... We have to have that feeling that we want to go out and earn it. But Jesus has a better word than that. His word is not earn it. Because you can't. In the face of the sacrifices that have been given for you and me, we can't do anything. We can't earn it. We, we aren't worthy of what's been done for us by, by family members, by, by people of our nation, by people of, uh, through the ages who've sacrificed for us. You can't earn it. And what Christ has done puts all the rest to nothing and to shame. You can't earn it. But Jesus' word is better. Take, eat. So now we come to the Lord's Supper the Lord's table this is not the South Shore Baptist table this is the Lord's table if you believe in Christ if you're public about your faith if you openly confess I'm a believer in Jesus Christ I'm a sinner Christ died for me I live by his life if you're focused on him and on his life you're depending on him and uh, you're experiencing his life in you this is your table. You are welcome, brother, your welcome sister. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you're not walking with Christ, we ask you just to participate by observing. When the elements come, just pass them by. Uh, nobody will think ill of you, but we, we respect that, that uh, we're all sinners, and we respect that, that uh, this, is a, this is a table for sinners. This is a table for the brokenhearted hearted for those who can't earn it, for those who are not worthy. And if you feel you need to pass it by, we respect that. But uh, we wouldn't want you to participate in something that isn't authentic, that isn't real and true for you. So if the elders will come and join me here at the table. Paul tells us that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed at the last meal with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it in their presence. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. John Norton, will you lead us in giving thanks for the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us us pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you as uh, needy people, people who uh, cannot live without you. And we thank you for the sacrifice that you've made. We thank you for your body broken and for your inviting us to come and share in it. We pray that your name would be given glory in our lives as we uh, take part in remembering you in this way. In Jesus' name. And as the bread is being passed around, just take this time quietly between yourself and your Lord. Commune with Christ. Open your heart to him. Uh, Let him work in your heart. Let him speak to you. Experience his life. Focus on his life depending on him. He's given you his life.